May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and today's discussion is caregiver mental health. This is a bonus Super Saturday episode, and I'm thrilled to be talking with Jess Ronnie. Jess Ronnie is an author, speaker, podcast host at Coffee with Caregivers, associate producer of Unseen Caregiver Documentary, and a caregiver advocate. She is founder and executive director of the Lucas Project, a nonprofit dedicated to providing recognition and respite for special needs families. She and her husband, Ryan, live in Michigan with their eight children, including their son, Lucas, who has profound special needs. Her story of beauty from ashes has been shared on the Today Show, Daily Mail, and Huffington Post, and is detailed in her memoir, Sunlight Burning at Midnight. To follow the ongoing saga, she can be found at www.jessplusthemess.com, or you can purchase her latest book, Blended with Grit and Grace. Jess is also featured in the Unseen Caregiver documentary. God is good all the time, and sometimes pain forces obedience to his plan. Jess Ronnie, author of Blended with Grit and Grace, Just Keep Living When Life is Unexpected. Welcome to today's Super Saturday episode. I am beyond thrilled to have today's guest with us. She is super busy um, promoting a brand new documentary that it needs to be seen by everyone. Um, the Unseen Caregiver documentary. She is an advocate. She is an author. She is. She wears so many hats. And um, I have been a follower of hers for years. I've read her books. And I am just so honored to have Jess Ronnie on FASD Hope today to speak about something crucial and, and just something that we need to have this conversation caregiver mental health. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I like to say mental health awareness and support because awareness, you have awareness, but you need recognition and support as well as as, as awareness. So with that very lengthy introduction, I am honored to welcome Jess Ronnie to FASD Hope. Jess, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Just a disclaimer to all your listeners, I am fighting a cold. So <laughs> do you hear me smacking on my cough drops or I'll, I'll try not to cough right into and the microphone. I appreciate, you know what? And that such as it's life. And actually that kind of yep. ties into our conversation. You know, um, we were talking before we started recording and I said, Jess, it's like, you know, we're ER docs. You, 24 seven. There's, you know, we don't get, <laughs> we're nope. lucky if there's a stretcher that we get to lay down on for 10 minutes, you know? So, well, yeah. and that's the thing. I didn't sleep well because I was coughing, but still up at, you know, 6 30 AM yeah. to yeah. get my son ready for the day. And <laughs> it's just, you just keep going. You have exactly. to. Exactly. And that's what her book says. You just got to keep living. So mm -hmm. let's talk about Jess for those listeners who are not familiar with your story and your amazing, amazing work in advocacy. Um, can you just share a little bit about your family's experience and um, how you became involved in parent caregiving? Sure. Um, well, my story really begins in 2004 when I went to what I thought was a routine ultrasound appointment for my second child. And it was there that I found out that my baby had suffered a stroke in utero. Um, they suggested termination. They said these babies rarely make it. And if they do, it's going to be lifelong care. Um, and my husband and I decided that we would put the baby in the Lord's hands and just trust that his will would be done. I carried that baby almost to term. Um, they ended up having to cut him out of me, literally. Um, two weeks before his due date, slicing me open from one side to the other because his head was the size of a two-year-old's at birth because of all the cerebral spinal fluid buildup. Um, and you'll just see this theme consistently through Lucas's life. Like he just holds on for dear life and he wasn't supposed to be born. He came out screaming with life, um, spent two weeks in NICU. And then they handed us our baby and said, you know, good luck after this baby will never be born to, here you go, 
<laughs> Godspeed. And that was kind of my induction into the world of special needs parenting. Um, I went on to have two more children with my husband, Jason. Jason was diagnosed with brain cancer in 2007. He lost his battle um, in 2010. And I was a young widow with four children, seven and under, um, including Lucas, who had profound disabilities. Um, and I just remember like during that period, that was an extremely dark period of life, but I had um, four family members in diapers at that point, literally um, with Lucas, Mabel, who was two, baby Joshua, and then my late husband as well. Um, and that just kind of encompasses my, encompassed what my life felt like basically at that point, um, just holding on and wading through all the crap and screaming at the Lord, like, are you kidding me? This is my life. Um, and I didn't lose my faith. I definitely questioned God and I had some massive wrestling sessions during that period. Um, my story, my story took a turn a few months later. Um, I met a widower who lived in Oklahoma. I lived in Michigan at the time. He lost his wife to brain cancer as well. Four days after my husband passed away and he had three young children. Uh, we ended up getting married. Um, and we had an eighth and final child together in 2015. Um, I can't remember what your, what your original question was. No, <laughs> just actually what you're, you. no, actually just what you're saying, sharing your story. And, and by the way, um, Jess's story is in, I, I highly recommend, uh, both of her books, um, blended with grit and grace, just keep living when life is unexpected. You talk about this, you know, I feel like you're, you know, I'm, I'm reminiscing with you because, you know, I've read so much about this and a little side note, your daughter, I, I, when I was reading the book, our daughter is, um, 13 years younger than our son. So mm -hmm. I see your daughter and our daughter kind of like those surprise gifts from God that, okay, here's this incredibly hard journey that you're on, that you're still going to be on, but then poof, here's a little right. like sprinkles of joy. I, that's right. what I like, like to say that, um, you know, when you have a child so much younger than the rest of your clan, you know, it, it's like this little sprinkle of joy, you know, now ask me if I'm going to say that when she's 13, 14, but I at was, least <laughs> we were on the same wavelength there. Yes, um, yes. cause I will have six teenagers in September. Oh my so. goodness send all the prayers and all the wine <laughs> yes. and all the everything. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we moved out to rural Tennessee, um, to sort of hack out this dream of the simple life that we had with our new family. Um, and the simple life is not simple at all. No. Um, and Lucas was aging and started to go through puberty. And during those years, you know, 13, 14, his behaviors really intensified, the aggression really intensified. And that's when people will often ask me, did you grieve, you know, when Lucas was born and he had all these difficulties and I did all my grieving during pregnancy. Um, I was just elated to go home with a baby. I didn't care what came along with him. My grieving came later on when he started to go through puberty. Thank you. Thank and you. that's when it was like, yes. Oh, uh -huh. this is lifelong and, and this is hard. You share that so eloquently in your book and in your blog posts and, you know, on your social media, because our son is almost 20 and puberty. First of all, puberty and any type of disability, it exacerbates it. And you mm -hmm. talk about that in the Unseen Caregiver documentary, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But you mentioned that. And that, again, that just like went to the core of me, like she gets it because puberty mm -hmm. And any type of disability, particularly developmental, neurobehavioral, puberty exacerbates it. And like you said, you know, you don't go out when you have a raging teenager be because no. you're ostracized. So, so when you were talking, and I know I'm going down a rabbit hole and I apologize, but when you were talking in, in the documentary about when you were sharing about how in COVID, when the pandemic hit, everybody oh, oh, we have to stay isolated. And you're like, it really wasn't a big change for us no. because we are a hundred percent just us the same thing. We were like, okay, so, you know, okay. Just a slight shift in plans right. that has been our lives since puberty, you know, right. with our son, because it, when you go out and I, I again, 
one of your posts, you share that so eloquently, you know, it's not cute anymore. You when know, when cute, exactly. Mm-hmm. When you have a teenager that is expressing severe symptoms and I want to say symptoms, these aren't behaviors. These mm-hmm. are symptoms when they're having these symptoms, you know, and you said people look the other way or they're, they are judgmental. I know some of the other um, caregivers in the documentary shared that. And you just, you know what? You just stop. You avoid it. You stop going to places yeah. because you don't want to have further pain inflicted from this. Yeah. Journey. And even when Lucas was, you know, seven, eight, nine, we could find caregivers pretty easily for him because he was cute. And even at seven, eight, nine, it's not that big of a deal to change a diaper. Q 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. There is nobody in the universe who wants to do that anymore. I mean, you cannot find help to save your life. And they're not these cute, cuddly little kids anymore. And you begin to lose hope because nobody wants to help you. And you just don't see any light at the end of the tunnel anymore. Yes. And that's what I think we really need to address for these caregivers and their mental health too is you can't function optimally as a human being without hope for very long. Like that's what spurs us forward as a human race. And you take that away from a whole population of people. Uh You are doing the entire world and all of our societies, a huge disservice when you remove hope. It's, it's an injustice. Nobody should have hope removed from their lives. Again, uh, I, I'm so, so thankful we're talking today and I'm so appreciative of, of you talking because I, I just have so much connection in your story and in your journey. So when did you go from that mama bear advocate to this, oh my goodness, you, you are doing so much for the caregiver community, especially of those children with complex needs. When did you make that transition from Lucas's mom who you know, you knew, knew and all this stuff too. Now I'm, I, I see that the world needs me to make this impact. I don't know that it was ever a conscious decision. I was just writing my truth as a caregiver and nobody was really doing that. Um, probably about five years ago, most of the posts were about the kids when, you know, you join these special needs groups or these autism groups and everybody sort of, um, uh, painting this blessed, hopeful paintbrush over their situation and me looking at it going, I know that's, it's not quite like that because I'm living it, but nobody dared to talk about it. And so I started writing about my experiences as a, as a caregiver, not about Lucas and not about how joyful and blessed everything always was. And these posts just resonated with caregivers. And I think it gave caregivers finally permission to say, no, everything's not (laughs) so blessed and so easy. And yeah, I have my miracle baby, but it's really, 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 really hard. And he hit me or he tore the door off the wall or he- Punched a hole in the wall or- Punched a hole in the wall or smeared his poop all over his bedroom Mm -hmm. or- And it just gave voice. And I think it was just the snowball effect. Um, And I don't even take credit for my writing. I've always felt like as long as I stay obedient to what the Lord calls me to do, he gives me the words. And I even look back on even that poem that you, you referenced earlier when he outgrew cute, that's, that's reached over 5 million people. And I look back on it and I read it and I'm like, I wrote that. It was literally, it feels like it was the Holy Spirit just using me as a tool. And as long as I stay obedient to what he's called me to to do in life, he will use me and use my words. And that's just how I live my life. Um, Because I do believe doors open when we stay obedient. Yes. Yes. I love that, Jess. And, and, you know, we are a faith-based podcast because um, when people here, FASD, hope is not the first thing they think of. In fact, they think of 50 other words besides hope. And we wanted to, like you say, we wanted to infuse hope in there. We want, it's, it's almost like people in our community, in the parent caregiver community, and, and not just FASD, but 
any other, and I'm using air quotes, complex special needs, because when mm-hmm. I hear specialists say that, when I hear professionals say that, I think I, I joke to myself. So you're saying you can't handle the situation. Exactly. Because when they say, and, and, and just, you know, listeners, if you're out there, just, I hope you're, you're doing a virtual high, high five or fist, fist pump in the air, because when I hear from a professional, oh, your son has complex special needs or, you know, highly, even better, highly complex special needs. And you talk about this in the documentary. You mentioned this in the documentary, whether it be organization, school, summer camp, you know, all those wonderful examples you gave. When you, when somebody else says those words, my interpretation of that is you cannot handle, you cannot Mm -hmm. serve my son. And that is an injustice. So what you are doing is giving a voice to all those millions of families and you share statistics in this wonderful film, millions of families that haven't had a voice for so mm-hmm. many years. That's why, oh my goodness, you know, that's why we're too exhausted to even fight exactly. the system. We're exactly. exhausted. Yes. And, and it is, it's our families, the ones with the most profoundly disabled children that cannot find anything. And that's, that's not right. It's just not right. Or the families and, and, and we have an FASD, it's a spectrum disorder. So just like autism, you know, it, Mm -hmm. it impacts differently, but in our, our, you know, with FASD, it's a brain-based whole body disability with over 428 comorbid medical conditions. You've got doctors telling you, oh, it's this and this and this. And when you go back and say, no, this is, this is not it for us. It is having specialists, the, the professionals tell you, well, this isn't what it is. So you have on top of that, that you know, okay, I just want to, I just want an appropriate diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So again, that's in that caregiver stress of, can somebody just diagnose my child with the proper, you know, appropriate diagnosis. So we have that parallel in that, again, (laughs) nobody is hearing our voices and we are, like you said, we're under stress, stress Mm -hmm. 24 seven. We're under, we don't need any more caregiver hotline. Exactly. Thank (laughs) you. we like, don't, we need, don't need, yeah, we don't no. need a caregiver hotline. We need, I don't respite. need a casserole. I don't need right. a casserole either. I don't need, I, and someone mentioned, and I think actually Amanda, when we interviewed Tom and Amanda, she said that what we need is people to genuinely look at us and check in and say, how can I help you today? Mm-hmm. And that you might know? be a casserole for somebody. I mean, right, I, right. I'm feeding, I'm not just I'm casseroles. <laughs> I'm feeding eight kids. I'll take a casserole. Yeah, yeah. I'm not uh, just casseroles, but, but yeah. it's not. We don't. We don't need more strangers on a on a hotline to talk to. Yes. Like yes. that's not helpful at all. We don't even have time to get on a hotline. Like no. we need tangible resources, tangible respite, tangible things that will help make our life easier. Yes, and I know this is resonating with so many listeners. So I'm again. I'm just so thankful for the tremendous ripple effect that you started with, you know, just putting your story out there. And that's something that we share a lot on this podcast. And and my husband and I, we share in our advocacy is that your story, not only your story, but, you know, if your child is able to voice their story in his or her way, that has profound, it's like a pebble in water that you just see ripples going and going and going. Mm -hmm. It has such an extensive effect, which I know this film will have that effect as your books, as your blog, as your podcast, you know, your voice is, is making such a difference. And again, for that, I'm, I'm truly, truly thankful. So let's talk about before we dive into this, this movie, this documentary, let's talk about just some of the many advocacy um, avenues that you're doing, because you do a lot, Jess. So they say, Um, yeah, I, I write books. I started a nonprofit called the Lucas project, um, in 2017, uh, when we lived in rural Tennessee and my husband ended up in ER twice with panic attacks that resembled heart attacks. And it was basically because we were just so desperate for a break. And I thought if we're this desperate, there has to be other families that are desperate. So we launched um, a respite program out of a local school. And then the other part of our mission statement is to provide recognition 
And that was kind of the million dollar question. How are we going to make society aware of what we go through in a dignified way? Because I don't think society is truly ready <laughs> for the real hard. And people will say, even after watching Unseen, wow, you were so vulnerable. I could never do that. And I'm like, you got the tip of the iceberg, mm -hmm. the tip. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't show you Lucas ripping his door off his wall or you're getting just a glimpse. And if it, that if that glimpse impacts you that significantly, you have no idea, you know, what caregivers typically go through on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was the, the Lucas Project. And then unseen the documentary. Um, I also have a podcast called Coffee with Caregivers. Um, and I just interview caregivers and we do a deep dive and it's not, you know, sugarcoating anything. It's tell me about your life. Tell me about the realities of your life because the world needs to know what we go through. And some of these stories just break my heart. I mean, I had a woman reach out just a couple of weeks ago saying she almost committed suicide. Uh, the previous night, but somebody referred her to the Lucas Project and she saw the trailer for the documentary and she said, and I didn't kill myself because I finally understood that I wasn't the only one in the world going through these emotions and behaviors with my child. Wow. So Praise it's God. stories like that, that just keep you going, keep, keep me going. Mm -hmm. You know, I know I'm on the right path. Yeah. I know I'm doing good in the world. I know I'm shedding a light on this massive population that nobody has seen before and nobody's cared about. Yes. And I don't and understand that. Yes. And if, if we, because you are so honest and open and in, in sharing many things, including your faith, if we truly follow Jesus, then we need to serve those people who you know, the world shuns, which is this population, which yes. is not only better supporting children, teens, adults with any type of disability, but their families yes. because nobody else is doing it. And the one, I believe it was a social worker in the movie who, who shared that she's like, if you care about people with disabilities, you need to care about their families. Mm -hmm. And, and that to me is that's faith. That's, that's what, yeah. <laughs> that's what's shared in the Bible so many times. That's, you know, Jesus taught us about him through kids like ours, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not enough for churches to say, oh, we'll just do occasional things. No, no, you need to consistent. reach out and get, you need to go get those families who can't go to church because of their familial situation yep. involving their loved one that has any type of disability. That's who your ministry needs to go to, you know, and, and we've shared that on our podcast too, that there have been, you know, we church shopped quite often, you know, because mm -hmm. of somebody called out, you know, your, your son, because he, it was too much of a sensory overload or whatever. No, these are the families that the church needs to serve, you know, and I, go I, to I, them. Don't yes. drag them to you. Go be yes. church to them. And you know yes. what else? Jesus would have changed Luke's diaper. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Because oh we've my gotten, goodness, yes. we found yes. special needs um, groups too at churches, but they mm -hmm. text us if Luke has yeah. a dirty diaper and it's like, yeah. come on, you can't just change, change a diaper. Like we need to leave church to go change yes. this diaper. That's like it, washing somebody's feet. Yes. And Jesus would have changed humble. Luke's diaper. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> or Jesus would have taken that son who was having a meltdown out and calmed him and soothed him and said, yes. It's okay. Or done Jesus whatever needed to be done. Exactly. Yep. And, and that's where I think you and I are both so passionate about. We infuse our faith into this advocacy because again, we have learned so much about Jesus through our kids and not just our kids, our families, because one of the quotes I love that you, you share is just when you see your, your other children interact with Lucas, that is truly it's grace. It's grace in action. You know, you've shared something along those lines of when I see my other kids, you know, I know that they're, they're serving the Lord through 
serving Lucas. And, and it's a part of, you know, it's a part of their growing, not only in their journey, but in their faith, because Mm -hmm. they're a part of their story. Exactly. And I'm not going to apologize for it. I get a lot of questions. It's not, you know, comments about how it's not fair that his siblings, his siblings, his siblings. And I'm like, it's just a part of their story. They also had a parent who died. Mm -hmm. And I look at my children who are growing up being extremely empathetic, seeing people, helping people. And I would prefer that story. I'll take that story all day long over the narcissistic story that all these other teenagers are growing up under who can't even lift their eyeballs up from their Snapchat or their TikTok. I will take the story my kids have all day long over that story. And I would choose that path for them all over again, hundred percent. If it leads to the human beings that we need more of in this world. (laughs) And we know too, um, many of siblings of those with complex needs, those with, you know, very hard um, journeys, many of those siblings go on to become social Mm -hmm. workers, doctors, therapists, you know, they go on to serve because they see the need for that. And because that gift is inside them of, mm-hmm. of wanting to, to continue beyond their family. So, oh my goodness, uh, I promise I'm not going to talk to you long because I know we have <laughs> your time is valuable. And, and you, I just want to give you my cup of tea right now to say, you know, I, I, I care about you, but um, so we will be listing in our program notes and in today's social media post, we'll be listing all of the wonderful advocacy initiatives that Jess is doing, especially this movie, which I promise we're going to talk about in one more minute. Um, Jess, before we talk about Unseen, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. I, I also like to say recognition and support as well. Why is parent, particularly parent caregiver mental health, why is it so important for you and why do people need to, why do we need such a systemic change? Um, I think it just boils down to the child is only as healthy as the caregiver. Um, And I think I always think of these horrific news stories that we see where a parent caregiver finally takes matters into their own hands and does something horrific to themselves or to their child. And we all gasp in horror and think, what a horrible person, how could she, how could he? And yes, horrific, but how long did they suffer under the strain of everything that encompasses being a parent caregiver? How long were they screaming for somebody to see them, somebody to help, somebody to, to bring over a casserole, you know, before they finally got to that point where they were like, I just, I don't even want to live anymore. And if I don't want to live anymore, my child can't live anymore either because nobody will take care of him or her. So we need to recognize these families and we have to stop shaming them. We have to take away the stigma of, from those families too, who finally get to the point where their child is 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And they say, I don't really want to be this child's caregiver for the rest of my life. And we need more residential long-term assisted options for those families, because I'm raising my hand here too. My son will turn 18 in August. I don't want to be his caregiver for the rest of my life. I will be, but I'd like to just be his mom at some point. And I would like somebody else to take over the caregiving role where I can just go have lunch with him, take him to a movie, you know, just be mom. Because I do recognize too, in the long run, a yes to being Lucas's caregiver for the rest of his life is a no to so many other aspects of my life, including my marriage, my future grandchildren, my grown children, myself. And I'm not willing to do that if we have a, a, an option. Right now, we don't even have an option. I was so. going to say, there's, not, there's no options. <laughs> there's and no e- option. Even if, you know, say you, you parent a child that is able to be in a supportive living situation, mm-hmm. um, there's no options there either. Oh, no. Literally, and and I've shared this on many episodes, your child that has any type of disability, um, particularly brain-based developmental disability, once they hit 18, it's like, poof, any, any tid, any tidbits of support, they're gone. They're, they're gone. And, um, that, yeah, 
you share so eloquently in your book, Blended with Grit and Grace, about PTSD and how, and complex PTSD and how we as caregivers, we're on the brink every day. Mm -hmm. And, and, and Unseen talks about that too. Mm -hmm. Our cortisol level, there's a reason why my hair is this gray at 51. You know, there's a reason why so many of us caregivers have these medical conditions, have these health health ailments. Like you said, there's so many reasons why we ache every day. Mm -hmm. It's because we are under constant stress, you know, fight or flight. Exactly. Exactly. And, and Ryan expressed it so eloquently too, in the film that, you know, you can't live in a fight or flight mode 24 seven, but we do, we do, we do. do. And and that's why even when people praise me for all the things I've accomplished, I live in fight or flight. So I just keep going because it's more difficult to actually come out of fight or flight and enter a place of relaxation. And then the next scream from the basement, like jolts you back to Mm. reality. So I live in this constant state of go, 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 because you can't come out of it. Even, even if they're out of the house, even if they're in a facility, or even if they're in supportive living, it doesn't end. And again, that's where the support not only needs to be for what happens when they're 18, what happens when they're 25, but again, for the family as well, because it doesn't stop, you know, Mm -hmm. disability, particularly of our circles, disability is lifelong. Therefore our parenting journey is lifelong. So we need that support to help us in whatever decisions we make. It's very similar to vets, honestly. And I know some people get their, their, you know, feathers ruffled when I make that comparison, but but when you, when you live in this fight or flight, Yes. for so long and you see all the support that vets get even in transitioning and as caregivers too i mean there's a lot of substance abuse there's a lot of mental health issues mm-hmm. there's a lot of depression there's a lot of anxiety just like vets because you live in at this plane that is unattainable for years and years and years and then like you're saying even if your child transitions to a supported living environment I think there almost needs to be some transitional support for the caregivers because we don't even know how to occupy that peaceful sort of space anymore. We've been out of it for so long. I, I, and it's funny if, if we, if my husband and I get a full night's sleep without getting, you know, three FaceTimes or three calls, Mm -hmm. the first thing we say, it's almost like when our son was a baby, the first thing we say was, did he call you? Did he FaceTime you? Did he, you know, because we're expecting just like Mm -hmm. if we go somewhere for the day with our daughter and we don't hear from our son, it's, it's either, thank you, Lord. He had a day where he, he, his, you know, he was able to function or what's waiting for what us. happened. And it's usually, <laughs> we usually go to that. What happened? Right. You know, and we shouldn't have to, mm-hmm. we should be able to say, okay, I didn't hear from him or, you know, I have this, I had these few hours of peace I should be able to feel like I'm not waiting for the scream. I'm not waiting mm-hmm. for the the fist through the wall. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And that's why I I love your message and I love what you're doing because it's real. It's real. It in in fact, when when I interview, you know, um, parent caregivers, and I'll hear, you know, some episodes there'll be sirens in the background, there'll be screams, there'll be anything. Guests will tell me, please edit that out, and I and and I tell them, with your permission, I want to keep that in there because that's the life we live. It's real life. Yeah. <laughs> yep. If if I if I you know if if a guest you know if someone a kid's having a meltdown or you hear you know somebody just really you can hear it in, in the house and Mm -hmm. no, people need to hear that. People need to hear that. So now let's dive into unseen because when I interviewed Tom and Amanda and they told me Jess and Ryan, Ronnie, and I I didn't put, I didn't connect it until I was like, Oh my goodness, Jess plus a mess. I I didn't put that together. And that's how my brain is fried. So, you know, when I made that connection and I talked to Amanda and then I reached out to you, I am so, so thankful and appreciative on behalf of of people who 
have who listen and who have messaged me. When is she going to be on your show? When are you going to talk to Jess? Thank you so much for for giving us that real look inside. And I know, again, like you said, it was the tip of the iceberg. We didn't see the screens. We didn't see the other stuff. We didn't hear that. But um, how did you and Tom and Kanan, how did you and Tom and Amanda connect to start the Unseen Caregiver Film Project? Well, after I started the Lucas Project, like I said, the respite part was easy and we got that up and running pretty quickly. Um, but the recognition part of our, of our mission statement was a little bit trickier. Um, I was writing, I was kind of contemplating a podcast, um, but I knew we needed some sort of creative medium to really peel back the curtain and allow the world a peek inside our lives. Um, we were approached twice about doing a reality show and something about that just didn't really sit with us, but it did get me thinking, you know, what if we could produce a documentary about parent caregivers and give society, you know, a glimpse. Um, we didn't necessarily make this film for caregivers. It's wonderful that caregivers are reaching out and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Somebody gets my story. We made it for the world to finally have an idea of what we go through as parent care caregivers and why it's so important that we support these families. Um, and so I just, I think it was 2018, threw out a post on Facebook just saying, hey, I have this grand idea. I'm like a visionary. I have big ideas, not a detail person at all. Um, and I just jump in without even thinking through anything. So I put out this post on Facebook and I felt a piece about it and thought, you know, God will use it if he's going to use it. And within a couple of days, received a message from Amanda, who um, through a mutual friend of ours had seen what I had posted and she reached out and just said, you know, I'm intrigued. Do you want to meet for lunch sometime? And we met for lunch. I think it was in 2018. And the rest is history. You know, we bounced a bunch of ideas around. Um, there were so many different angles we could have gone in um, as, you know, special needs families and all the things we need. And <laughs> but we decided to kind of to settle on this parent caregiver role um, and why society is failing parent caregivers and how society can do better. Um, and they followed us around for three years. And four years later, we have a documentary. <laughs> this is how I it came to, to be. I have to tell you, Jess, the way that they created the film was so, um, it, it, nothing in the film as a parent caregiver, nothing made me feel uncomfortable. In fact, it was very reassuring, you know, and again, the audience, people who need to see this film are legislators, lawmakers, organizations, schools, communities. Those churches. are the people, yes. churches. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes. Especially churches. These are the people that need to see this film and then take action. I love at the end that, you know, you have the website. So, okay. Do you want to do more? Do you want to keep this conversation going? the way that Tom and Amanda filmed your family and then inserted these vignettes of caregivers and then talking to professionals who understand parent caregiving, you know? So mm -hmm. um, talking about the one professional, I believe her name was Cameron, who spoke about how sexism and racism is is so prevalent in caregivers mm -hmm. of those with disabilities and, and special needs. And that therefore it has this trickle effect. And, you know, most of, I would say, if not the majority of parent caregivers are women who mm -hmm. are at home because they, like one of the caregivers said, it was either choose my job and have somebody else care for my child, but not do it the way that was needed or me stay home. And, right. and that's, I'm raising my hand too, because eight years right. ago we, we made the decision, you know, I, I homeschooled, stay home 24 seven. I, I don't regret that for one moment, but if eight years ago, there was an option to say, Hey, we support you. Here's what can happen so that you can continue to do what you're doing. Again, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't change a thing because I know this is the road that the Lord has led me on and I, you know, I wouldn't be doing it, but for other parents to be able to say, okay, there's, there's another option out there mm -hmm. rather than quit your job and caregiver right. or 
try to scramble to find somebody to take care. I I do not feel like um, I would survive if I were forced to quit my job. And I know people will say, well, you have eight kids and you have this child with profound disabilities and that's your role. Why? Why is it my role when nobody's saying this to my husband? Like, I feel called and led to do this advocacy work too. And that does take time and to write books and that does take time. Um, But it is usually the women who have to sacrifice. And that's too bad because I'll also say caregivers make amazing employees. We, (laughs) we don't have an off switch. We can juggle 5 million balls at one time. Thank (laughs) you. We are out of the box thinkers. We are blazing these paths that people are like, whoa, where did that idea come from? And we get stuff done like that. (laughs) So you are really missing out on a very important, highly productive segment of society by not employing caregivers. And and like Ryan said too, when your son was in ICU for those Mm -hmm. six weeks, he, you know, when he, and, and my husband and I have had this discussion because my husband has passed up promotions. He's passed up opportunities because, because he knew it would take away, Mm -hmm. even though I was home full time, he knew it would take away him being there to support me and to support our family. And that's something we address um, very candidly on our podcast, not only us, but quite a few other guests that many men in families of kids, teens, young adults that have complex disabilities, um, they pass up a lot of promotion Mm -hmm. and pass up a lot of work because they don't want to, you know, have more time taken away. That's why Ryan shared he he went into business for himself mm-hmm. um, because he had that flexibility to say, um, okay, well, you know, my son's in ICU for six weeks. I need to, I need to be a part of that. We know that, you know, if that flexibility were offered in the workplace to families of those with complex disabilities, with with any type of disabilities, we know that these secondary and tertiary effects of things like the stress, things like, you know, addiction, things like that in caregivers, those would be reduced drastically Mm -hmm. if the workplace supported those families too. Yes. And I'm really thankful the the film talks about that. Yeah. Cause if you are a caregiver in your home, you're, you feel trapped. I mean, you, it's very difficult to get out and then depression breeds and isolation. And then that depression leads to substance abuse and addictions. And every caregiver has their way of coping, whether it's, you know, scrolling on Facebook, every caregiver has some sort of coping mechanism that they turn to. And it is, I believe, and it's not boredom necessarily, but it's a feeling of being trapped and isolated and no hope. It goes back to that hope component. Like if there's no hope, then you just do not function optimally for very long. And then you're in a very, very dark place. Mm-hmm. And unless somebody is willing to take that flashlight and go into the dark place with you to help you mm-hmm. out of that place, you're not going to get out of that dark place. So no. again, that's why I'm, I'm so thankful for this film, for your voice and for everything that you're doing. If you can just quickly, before we start wrapping up this wonderful conversation, what are a couple of takeaways that you want? Let's say, you know, <laughs> Senator so-and-so from so, or, or, or this, you know, director of this nonprofit, if they're watching this film, what are like some key takeaways that you want them to know? I mean, the people who listen to this podcast, they already know they're walking this walk. So mm-hmm. they're, they're going to know your takeaways, but what do you want those people who are not in this community to know from this film? I think, um, you know, there are a couple of levels of ways that you can help caregiving families. You know, if, if you're, just an individual in a, I'm doing air quotes, you know, typical family. And you know, that family down the road and they sort of have that again, air quotes, scary kid. Um, just try to connect with them and say, you know, it starts with a relationship and I'll be honest, most caregivers are going to be like, we're fine. Everything's fine. We don't need help. Blah, blah, blah. That's not true. (laughs) You know, show up, show up and say, you know, lasagna or tacos. I'm bringing you a meal on Wednesday. Just, you know, enter into their mess with them um, and get to know that family. And then, you know, on a larger scale, um, 
I guess personally, some of my hopes and dreams for this film are that we can get more long-term assisted living options for our children as they age, because I'll often say most parents can wrap their minds around the fact that, okay, I'm going to sacrifice um, raising this child uh, or my children. I mean, we, we wrap our minds around that till they're 18, 19, 20 years old or so. And then there's kind of this light at the end of the tunnel where you're like, okay, they're going to fly the coop and become independent and have their own life outside of mom and dad. Um, with kids like my Luke, who's about to be 18, we don't have that. There's no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no, I mean, he may be in our basement till he's 50 years old. You just, you don't know. And I'd like to see more options for families who do want to pursue that path. And then removing that stigma from those families who say, I don't want my kid at 50 years old still living in my basement. I want something better for him or her, you know, life of purpose, life of meaning. And I think we can create those opportunities. Um, We've even been bouncing around some ideas with a local investor who has actually looked at some numbers of some of these farm models that we have here in West Michigan. Tensional communities, yes. So if we can get investors to start to wrap their minds around, oh, right. you know, we see these retirement communities going up all over the mm-hmm. nation, these beautiful retirement communities with golf courses and swimming pools. Why don't we have anything like that for our kids? Thank you. Thank you. We need this stuff as badly as the elderly need it. Um, Thank you. And I would like to see a similar model be put in place for our kids. These beautiful places full of purpose and and life and meaning. Yes. Yes. Tiered in level of support. So you have the assisted living, you have the check-in supervision all the way through that, that, you know, total supportive living status. Right. Yes. Oh my goodness. Jess. Yes. So that's, that's a personal goal. Um, And then, you know, I think families in the thick of it need more respite. That's what we hear constantly. We need respite. We need respite and not like a three hour break at a church once a month. We need some Mm -hmm. consistent big chunks of respite for these families. Um, And I don't know exactly how that looks, you know, if it's funding where they have to find their own respite provider, which that's a whole other conversation. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. We you, need, you and I, we need share horror stories about that. <laughs> yes. We need to pay these workers better. We need to treat them know, better, treat them better. Um, yeah. So that's a whole other yeah, line. A- I think the church in the meantime could really step it up and start Thank to provide you. some respite for these families. Thank you. And consistent and regular and not just a, Oh, okay, how, how can we help you? No, go to those families. Mm-hmm. The people that you need to serve are the people who are not in church because yes. they can't be in church. That sentiment has been shared so many times on this podcast. And, and I, as somebody who's experienced that, I can say that that's exactly what needs to happen. So yep. I am, again, I'm so thankful you're, you're bringing this up. Oh my goodness. So now through May 26, and I'm going to do a follow-up post on what happens after May 26. Jess and I were talking about that. But now through May 26, you can see the Unseen Caregiver documentary film. Um, Jess, can you just share quickly how not only can um, listeners learn more and, and purchase a ticket, but also um, just, again, the ways that listeners can connect with you? Yeah, um, you can learn more about the documentary at caregiverdoc.com, and that's where you can purchase a ticket as well. Um, and then to connect with me, my website is justplussms.com. I'm also at thelucasproject.org. Um, I'm on Instagram at justplussms, and then um, Facebook is actually just Ronnie because my page was recently. Yes. <laughs> so if, and here, and I made the mistake when I, uh, when, Tom and Amanda's episode came out. I tagged Jess plus the mess and not knowing that your account had been hacked. And Jess and I talked about, we, we know that that's a spiritual attack because we know that when we're on the brink of, of making these huge waves that um, things like that happen. So we, we, Mm -hmm. we, we know. So yes. So um, Jess plus the mess on Facebook, please don't go to that until the situation gets resolved because you're You'll not see going to some see, apparently see some very videos. Yeah. interesting videos. My husband's like, they're, 
They're really I interesting. I watch most I know. of them. I know. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should hire the hackers to take over my page. I know, because you know what? Our lives are not exciting enough, Jess. You know, things like right. And it's like, seriously. Right. Um, but yes, yeah, so Jess Ronnie, and um, you'll also we will have the correct links in today's program notes as well as today's social media posts. Um, Jess, I am so appreciative of the time that you're taking, and I know you're feeling under the weather, so I just appreciate you sharing your journey, sharing your heart, and sharing your message on FASD Hope. We like to end on hope takeaways, as I affectionately call them, words of hope for people on this journey. I'm just going to read you a a quick uh, fact, which I know you already know, but FASD is a lifelong disability. It's a brain-based whole body spectrum disability with over 420 comorbid medical conditions. It's the most undiagnosed, misdiagnosed, and underdiagnosed of all developmental disabilities. Here's where you and I have, we have these parallels. Our kids are misunderstood and stigmatized. Our families are misunderstood and stigmatized. This is a very isolating journey, just like we, we, we talked about throughout this episode. We are all in the trenches every day. What words of hope can you share with those listeners in the trenches with us so that we can see that there's a light that, that we just need to follow? Well, what keeps me going, um, a few years back, I was really struggling with having to be Luke's primary caregiver, uh, feeling like it was unfair. Um, and the Lord really worked on my heart and helped me reframe my role in terms of holy work and understanding that this is the holiest work I can do this side of eternity is caring for somebody who absolutely would not be alive without the grace and mercy of other human beings. And so I had a a sign commission that hangs over his bed that says, this is holy work. Every morning when I get up, that's the first thing I see is this is holy work. And I do believe that with all of my heart, Um, it doesn't detract from the difficulties. It doesn't take away from my desire to have more options for him as he ages But I do believe that as long as I stay obedient to what the Lord has called me to do, I will hear someday, well done, good, faithful servant. And I may not get my reward this side of eternity, but I will have my reward someday. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, keeps me going. Jess Ronnie of Jess Plus the Mess and the Unseen Caregiver documentary film. It has been an honor to have you on FASD Hope today. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me.